Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Twyla After Show podcast. And if I sound a little muffled, I'm pretty sure you know why we're wearing a mask because it's the first time we've really been in the studio all at the same time. And that's why we haven't been really doing a podcast because it's the uh, building's been kind of empty. With <laughs> me, of course, is uh, Carl Wiggers, co producer. Also masked. And co hosts <laughs> Avery Davidson and Kristen Oates White. And uh, it has been a minute, really, since I've seen you. We've done, we've done one episode during quarantine right. early on, and then that was just too much to keep up with. So Back in March. Yeah, yeah, we've done like two or three episodes, I feel like, all year. Yeah. And it's tough because, you know, part of the nature of this podcast is to be able to get everybody in a room. And the room is such that we can kind of stand six feet apart but we're not really sure and we're all breathing the same recirculated air and at least one of us in this room has already had covid so let's uh (laughs) kristen's literally got her back to the wall over there oh i'm not i'm just resting i need a chair so yeah Yeah. i would take I, i trust you guys i don't know uh, I don't know. You're, you're, you're looking the, at me you're really the, weird. I can't. You're the most exposed. I'm the most exposed. Yeah. How you say that? Your Just, wife's a doctor. No, that's true. well, not a doctor, a nurse, nurse but, practitioner. Yeah. But she, she's probably she's told me many times that if she gets it, it's because of me because I'm the one out and about, out in the world, and uh, she pretty much lives in her little hospital bubble where she, you know, they they're wearing a mask every day when they walk in the door. I salute her. Double one, masks. One for what she's done for the last mm-hmm. six seven I months but uh i salute anybody that has a job where they have to wear the, these masks 24 7 yeah, it's crazy my mother was a nurse and uh i mean i do want to give a shout out to women like your wife and nurses and doctors all on those uh front line of this virus it is where it looks like we're headed into a second wave of that stuff and uh they're going to be once again on the front lines it is still out there it is still deadly so mask up folks i just uh, don't think we ever got through the first wave. Yeah, it didn't seem <laughs> I mean, like it. Uh, I mean, it's gone up and down, certainly. But, um, I mean, now, and I just got a call from my brother the other day. He's in Germany, and they're up to 6,000 cases a day. France is at 30,000. And yeah. we're back up to 54,000 in the U.S. I mean, they're, you know, that's, it's, it's more than Europe. But, of course, France and Germany are both smaller. And fortunately, you know, at least in Louisiana, it's, a little, it's lower than what we were back in Mar- March, April, May, June. Those mm-hmm. months, we're now seeing what I, I think we're staying under a thousand cases a day for the most right. part. But the problem uh, is, is that you've got major COVID fatigue mm-hmm. among people because you, even though all of the signs on all of the businesses that you walk in say mask required, not everybody wears masks, mm-hmm. and they they're mm-hmm. still allowed in. Yeah. And so it's just I think people are tired of harping on people about it and people are tired of wearing them. And and I don't worry about me. I really don't. The, I worry about my 79-year-old mother. I worry about my 79-year-old father-in-law. I worry about all all my friends' grandmothers, all my friends' mothers who, you know, helped take care of me whenever I was a teenager in New Iberia, you know. Those are the people I worry about. I'm not worried about getting it myself because, yeah, I'm, uh, I can, I'll probably be okay, uh, you know. But I also think about who I might give it to should I, I not know that it's I'm spreading it. Yeah. Somewhere. I'm terrified going out and doing stories sometimes to bring it back to Baton Rouge, to bring it back to my house 
because my wife has said many times, said if, like I said a minute ago, that if doctors she works with said if, if she gets it, it's because of me. And she's reminded me that if every chance, I, every chance she gets. <laughs> so I'm like, I am not bringing it into that house in central Louisiana. Yeah, you got that new house. Did you I get do. a new dog house too? Because I think you might need it. You might need it. I got a new back porch that <laughs> it kind of acts as, as, as said dog house sometimes. So. Yeah, you built a new house since the last. Time I we swung there. hammer like crazy through right, the through yeah. the quarantine, working from home days. <laughs> Never. If, if you you sure didn't hammer down on them every day. You did? Did you not go out there every single day? I was out there a lot. Yeah, was, what he means by swing a hammer is pilot a drone. I, I did yeah. pilot my drone. Other people, mm-hmm. real men, built the house. I actually had a rock thrown at it. <laughs> Got through a rock at it. One of the, Do you want to oh, tell the story about your your fireplace? Because that's the best. What story fireplace about the fireplace? A story about the fireplace. You, they had just put up the bricks on your fireplace. Oh my gosh! We were going to do a story. No, you don't want to tell this. Okay, I will tell it. Because now, <laughs> Sorry. That, now that we've started it, but we uh, we had just gotten the brick done, brickwork done on the inside fireplace. We have one on the out patio too, but the one in the fireplace on the inside, we had pretty brick. We were kind of not so sure. We hadn't. We kind of picked the brick without seeing. We kind of saw a little sample of, you know, six or seven bricks. And we're like, this is what it's going to look like. So we're kind of looking at it. And Brittany, we were looking at it. It's got the stoop, you know, a little knee-high piece. And she was pointing out a piece, uh, a brick that stood out to her, you know, six, eight feet in the air above the fireplace, above the mantle and all that. And she's like, do you see the one I'm, I'm looking at? And I said, yeah, I think so. And I stepped up on the, they, they finished it maybe hours before we are in there. And I step up on the ledge to point out the brick that I think I see, and I feel it crumble beneath me. Oh, nice. And you broke the hearth. I broke the hearth. The very corner brick. And I was like, oh. I said, I bet your contractor loves you. Yeah, I was like, oh, gosh. That's why I almost didn't want to tell the story, because I, I haven't really owned up to exactly what happened <laughs> until now. So <laughs> the truth's out. out there now. Well, it's it's going to set me that. free contractor and uh, yeah listening right now <laughs> Anyways, i'm sure they are you know aside from the COVID stuff we've had our own fair share of disasters here in louisiana with these hurricanes and that's just preoccupied our time uh whatever we've been doing besides you know being out of the building we've been in those areas covering it all across the state and uh some of it came I, I, we were we we're all pretty much here in baton rouge except for Kristen, who's in natchez who caught part of both those hurricanes mm-hmm. is that right the actually Delta was worse for us. Uh, it knocked out in our area from our, our power company. I believe this is the statistic from south of Jackson to Woodville. Basically, eighty nine percent of their customers were out of power for, and we were out of power for wow. five days, six wow. days. So that's a long time. That yeah, when we didn't have, we lost power for maybe an hour during Laura, but. Um, I know it was not as bad because my parents, it was really bad around yeah, Monroe. Yeah, I was ask around... you about that. Because when I had gone to talk, interview Mike Malonson, he was getting a fuel dump ready for, yeah. for your dad. And uh, it was really bad up there. It, they were out of power probably five or six days. And then she said you couldn't even get down the road right after it happened. Because there were any road that you would go around to try to get out. Trees across, I mean, huge... I, Eight hundred year old oak trees that when I went up there afterwards, I was like just uprooted. Yeah, but I mean that area hadn't gotten a storm. And the, like yeah, that, they just don't. You know? Yeah, she said I don't think that I've ever in my lifetime have seen a hurricane 
do this much damage. I mean, of course, they've had tornadoes. And she said, right. but a hurricane that's this bad, this far north. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I did a, I did a story. I mean, this is not for this week's Twilight After Show, but a couple of weeks, few weeks ago, I did a story in Marouge, Morehouse Parish, further northeast from, mm-hmm. you know, than Washtenaw Parish. But I did a story up there and they were like, we don't get storms that are still at hurricane hurricane rated like wind. Mm-hmm. And that's what the rice crop up there got. And I did a story on that. And it's, it's just the reality is those storms don't get that, stay that bad mm-hmm. for that long inshore. Yeah. And uh, we just saw, you know, recently where uh, that derecho that hit Iowa was, you know, had did done so much damage. And that's just another one of those areas. I mean, they're used to tornadoes, but tornadoes mm-hmm. affect a very small area at one time. Kind of a I pinprick. Mean, whatever, yeah, whatever bad damage they do. But this was on another level. And it did, they just calculated the damage. So far, it's done more than the hurricane season has put together. That one, so, that one event? Yes, it, it hit 850,000 acres worth of crops up there. Wow. And so... Um, That's saying something because this year, I mean, I don't know the numbers. You probably know the numbers better than I do. But this year, this hurricane season is nothing to, you know, turn your nose up at. Nothing I mean, to sneeze at. Laura by itself, Kurt Guidry, I interviewed him yesterday and he said... Laura by itself was $1.6 billion worth of damage. And he said Delta, they're coming out with the final numbers here, or the, the I, I should say, some, some more concrete numbers for Delta here towards the end of the week. But he said he expects similar numbers because neither Laura nor Delta were really much of either a storm surge or a rainmaker. The wind damage was, was so much. And Laura's, of course, was intense and powerful, but Delta's was widespread. And as you Mm -hmm. saw, I mean, as Kristen was just saying, up in Natchez, up in Monroe, you had these wind fields that were reaching all the way up there that were at least tropical storm, if not hurricane strength, at least for some of the gusts. And that did a lot of infrastructure damage. He said, crop wise, when you take forestry out of it, you're looking at about a half billion dollars worth of damage, four fifths of which was infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, and I know you, you shot that story with the cotton and it looked soggy and bad. Yeah, I was going to say you didn't have cotton that was bowled out right. for Laura either. And there's there's no doubt, you know, that Delta's going to do more crop-wise and, and that sort of thing. But on top of all of that, the infrastructure damage. And I think we saw some of that. You saw some of that at Farmer's Rice Mill. This yeah, week. that's what my store was on this week. But while you're talking about it, the cotton, the early estimates from LSU, you know, the days after the Delta came through was around 15% loss. Um, and that's just from droppage. That's not from, you know, any quality. kind of a quality loss you're going to see. Unreal. So it could be up to 25% to the crop. Right. And that's my very unscientific uh, guess. But, I mean, it's going to be more than 15% on the ground. That's gone. You know, mm-hmm. that's kind of the average number. But to this week, I did see some of that infrastructure damage. I went to Lake Charles for the first time and I've, just before I get into my story, holy crap. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, it's horrible. If you haven't seen pictures up. or driven through there, it's insane. It, it looks like, and you said it in the story a couple of weeks ago, looks like a war zone. Yes. It, it absolutely does. I was I, I was just blown away yesterday. It was yesterday. You've had a good yeah. compare and contrast from when we were there for the veil story. Yeah, it was in night May. and day. Yeah. Night and day. Uh, go ahead and talk. I, so, I'm going to talk okay. about mine, but let's talk about what you saw. At, so if, I did a story on Farmer's Rice Mill, which actually is getting back up and running. They they were hit by both Laura and Delta. Um, 
and it's just a rice milling company that you know brings in rice from the farm and uh, sends it out the white rice that we see on our table and our gumbo and jambalaya and every other way that we like to eat it. But um, they got hit hard. They're the, the tallest structure between the Gulf. They're 30 miles from the Gulf um, and Lake Charles. And they, they were the tallest structure between the Gulf and, you know, Lake Charles. And that's, they got the wind uh, that just, you know, he said they got, uh, I talked to Philip Bertrand, who's the general manager. And he said, yeah, we've got roofs that are, you know, rated at 120 mile an hour winds, but that's not what we got. We got more than that. So they just, they couldn't handle, and it's a lot of metal structures. Some of that, some of those structures have been there for 60, 70 years and no telling how many hurricanes have come through there, but they just, it just caused, you know, just total destruction in some of those places. They had to replace all of their sorter, uh, their mill, their sorting machines at the very top of the mill, the beginning of the mill where, you know, the rice comes in and they start breaking off the bran and, you know, mm-hmm. just right at the very beginning of the process and, everything from there down you know it's a five-story building everything from there down just had to get totally rebuilt and uh cleaned out because it's a food grade facility so it has to be just with a fine-tooth comb and i was blown away by how they were literally in there scrubbing on their hands and knees every bolt and screw and like just every single thing in that building it was crazy that's part of that untold damage that you see that's there's not going to be a dollar value associated with that but it's part of the mental strain of these Mm -hmm. hurricanes and these hurricane seasons you know they went through that with laura they cleaned it up and then here comes delta and then they go in it knowing they're going to have to do the same thing a top to bottom total scrub down of everything yeah that's just that's just disheartening. i mean they have to do it it's their job and it's part of what they do but it's it's not work that they would normally do. I mean, this is yeah. outside the the box on top of all the repairs and that kind of thing. Yeah, and they hadn't even finished cleaning up from Laura whenever Delta came through. They had a temporary roof on their main facility, and Delta came and blew that temporary roof off. And then he Philip was telling me it was more of a rain. It was more water problems and wind problems on Delta the second time through, and that that initial wind from the the eye coming right right by that same place again uh that initial wind just tore that roof that temporary roof right off and just dumped water in that facility they had two inches of water in their facility that they had to clean up and start all over from from scratch it was to hear hear and see what all they were going through to get back up and running was incredible um but it's it's just been i couldn't i was shaking my head the whole time i was with him i was just like man been a long couple months. He said, "You have no idea." Yeah, and then the ratoon crop got hit by Delta as well. I mean, you saw a lot of loss there, going all the way up into northeast Louisiana because of those winds at mm-hmm. a time that was pretty important to, for for the crop. Mm-hmm. I mean, just kind of shaved the heads off. Lies a lot of the complication of calculating the damage because you have damage to the crop, but back during Laura. You had, I mean, I did that interview. I went back to the Vales and I interviewed their neighbor as well. I mean, between them, they lost more than a dozen rice bins by themselves. And so that storage that they don't have for the ratoon crop. So they've had to find and scramble stuff. So are they going to lose that? I mean, how are, you know, where's that stuff going to go on top of all of the damage already there? So there's just no, I mean, this is stuff that's going to, the calculation of this damage is going to be unrolled over time. And, um, you know, 
for me, um, it, it was a story I did uh, a couple weeks ago with um, Leslie Griffith mm -hmm. uh, that brought it into perspective. And it reminded me of Katrina in a lot of ways because Katrina went, you know, across the southeast tip of New Orleans and hit both uh, New Orleans and Mississippi. And, of course, the attention was on New Orleans and people were complaining about that. But as you looked, I mean, when it came across the Mississippi Gulf Coast, there was just nothing left. And that's kind of the, whereas New Orleans, the city was still intact, but you had so much more damage to property, so much more property to damage and, and that sort of thing. That same sort of dichotomy I saw in Grand Chenier versus Lake Charles. Lake Charles was heavily damaged. There was still stuff, you know, blue tarps on roofs and, and uh, you know, debris and stuff getting knocked down. But in Grand Chenier, I mean, when I went, Leslie Griffith's house, he was a Vietnam vet. He'd been through wars. This guy, Mike Norman, uh, with the NRCS, was out there to help him. He was an Afghan and Iraq vet. And he said it looked like Afghanistan. It, it reminded him of a bomb going off, not just because of the damage, but because of the people wandering around, the total mental strain, the, the, the listlessness, the purposelessness, because of, you know, there's just so much to do and, and no real direction. You know, they're still waiting on insurance and, and uh, help from the USDA and, and that sort of thing. And you look at Leslie's house, the, the, the thing that stuck out to me the most was I looked up in one of his oak trees and there was a large section of his wall up in, brick wall, up in that tree, 15 feet in the air. Yeah. And, and, I mean, and the rest of his house was just scattered over his, his uh, cattle fields. That, and the house was totally blown apart. I mean, it was completely demolished. And when you see that sort of violence firsthand as you drive through Grand Chenier and all of these towns along 27 and 82 through that area that are just debris fields. There's just no, I mean, and there were houses, there were people there. There's just slabs and chunks of debris. And it's, uh, you know, I think when you had that for Laura and then you come back with another hurricane after that, there's a lot of damage that's psychological out there that's, yeah, that, that's impossible to calculate. That mental stress, especially for our farmers and ranchers who are suffering the losses of their livelihood, their crop, their livestock, but also their homes. I mean, Willie and Linda Danos, they're, they're in Iowa. Their home is a total loss. Uh, but, you know, that's that's a tough thing to deal with that you've you've still and you still have to go and fix your fences you still have to go and run your cattle or else you don't have any income right you go into debt to get an excavator to handle all the debris that's still left in your fields you still got to rebuild your house too that's what just makes my heart hurt is knowing that it's not just one aspect of their lives affected it's their entire lives affected you know when yeah. when a lot of folks went through the floods home might have been destroyed but work was still there paychecks were still coming in in a lot of cases it wasn't like what you did for a living went a washed away too right i thought about that as i picked up branches from delta which you know affected us stronger than laura's that i mean we had a lot of yard cleanup to do but it was nothing compared yeah. i had power the whole time i had you know uh i mean uh, it, it was it was worse for people like Kristen and I mean I'm sure you know and yeah it is, compared to like Charles it's yeah the, and, but there's nothing 
we didn't have any structural damage. I mean, there's right. compared to, I, I just, I can't imagine. Like the veils were the very first, when it started forecasting where it was going to hit, they were the very first people I thought of. Because when we were there shooting that story in May, they said the Gulf is. They kept talking about how close miles, they were to the Gulf. 10 miles, right. 10 miles from the Gulf. And that we asked him what was the thing that he was scared of the most about, I think I asked him about farming and he said hurricanes, mm-hmm. hurricanes. And you, and can, you see why. Yeah. You can hear it in his voice when I interviewed him, uh, that story a few weeks ago. Uh, I mean, one of the things he said he needed was just people to talk to about it. And I mean, they're, I they're out there, they're working their behinds off to clean all the stuff. They're still, I mean, I, I know a month after I've been there with the interview, they're still working on Laura issues, you know, much less uh, whatever Delta is. Thank God they didn't have storm surge that far north. That's the mm-hmm. only thing that saved them. But when you see one of those giant pieces of culvert, I mean, we're talking something 50 feet long, you know, made from metal, blown 800 yards across a, a field. I mean, that's just, it's just unreal what they went through. Yesterday when I was out at uh, Farmer's Rice Mill, we were standing on the fifth floor, uh, you know, where the at the top of the mill, and he was pointing out some debris fields of where they're kind of piling all their debris as they're cleaning up. And he was he was telling me on the ground a few minutes before that, it was like, hey, we actually had a grain bin right over here. We we lost it somewhere. It, it flew off. And when we got to the fifth floor, he was looking out, and he said, oh, there's our grain bin. It was across the road mm-hmm. and on the other side of a parking lot. I mean, it was probably, I don't know, three or 400 yards away. And wow. it was a grain, not not the biggest grain bin you'll see, but it's not, it's, it's, it's something to be, imp- it's, it's impressive the size of it when you think about wind did that. Yeah. It was I, crazy. I, I saw a picture yesterday somebody posted, hey, if anybody's looking for their roof, it's five miles out in the marsh there. And there's this picture of a roof completely intact sitting in the middle of nowhere in a marsh along the coast. Uh, it's just crazy what these storms did. 2020 has no chill. <laughs> no chill, <laughs> no chill at all. Anybody, well, anybody over it? Anybody yeah. over 2020? I think we, we've been over it. Uh, yeah, but it's going to bleed into 21 with unless we have a vaccine. and. Yeah, well, until that vaccine comes out, things aren't going to return to quote-unquote normal. Somebody posted the other day, like, I've lived through seven decades, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s, and then January, February, March, April, <laughs> all through the, the pandemic. I saw somebody the other day share a picture from, uh, um, it was a picture from April or March, and it, it, the caption said, man, I can't believe this was 25 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's it, what it felt well, like. It's been I a mean, long year. We were in another, two other countries this year. That I actually, this year. I forgot about that until the other day I was talking to somebody and I was like, yeah, I was we, like actually, I was in I was in Thailand earlier this year. Yeah, yeah. While the coronavirus outbreak was starting up in yeah. Wuhan, and we were there for Chinese New Year yeah. in Thailand, and there were lots of Chinese folks who Y'all were there for. You're welcome, America. Yeah. <laughs> I remember folks were wearing in the Ag Leadership Group were wearing masks. masks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and honestly, some people were giving them a hard time. But they they did have. Remember, we flew back through Japan, and they had had folks there two days earlier who had tested positive, who flew through that very airport. So yep. it was already spreading 
internationally. I mean, we uh, of course we all know that now, but uh, we, we, I was ready to get home once we started seeing how real it was getting yeah. in that part of the, the world. We're lucky. God, had we gotten stranded over there, that would have been a miserable experience. Yeah, I'm sure people on a cruise ship could attest to that. I, they they <laughs> had it worse. They had it worse for sure. Let's go back to the show. So you did a story this week about the numbers with Kurt Guidry. Right. I did the story on Rice. Avery, what's, what's something? I mean, you did something really heavy hitting, right? And now for something completely, completely different. different. <laughs> it is National Farm to School Month. You beat me to it this year. I've been so, I've done stories on that for the last three years, I think. Yeah, and, and I finally did something that you have not done. You know what that is? A Interview story. your mother-in-law. I've interviewed her. We've, we've spent a lot of time talking. Yeah, uh-huh. She's a chatty one. Love yep. her, though. But, yeah, no, she is the pretty much the garden keeper at Shenandoah Elementary here in Baton Rouge, mm-hmm. and she's a pre-K teacher. The kids go out there. Right now they've got some uh, green beans that they've planted. They've got some marigolds. They've got uh, a couple other uh, broccoli and, and the like. And so the kids love going out there. I got good video and pictures of them putting the uh, the pine straw out to, you know, keep the moisture there mm-hmm. and to kind of keep the weeds uh, from growing up. They were pulling some weeds while I was there. But she also talked about how important this is in teaching them things that you can't really teach in a classroom. Some of the, you, you know, you're watching something grow. And getting those measurements and mm-hmm. measuring the water beforehand and seeing what reaction it has, what the temperature is like. And, you you know, for, for pre-K kids, you might think that's a lot. But no, this is what they're – this is understanding the world around them. And, uh, you know, she was like, I, I love getting them outside. Getting them outside is part of it. And also we include, you know, shameless uh, self-promotion here. Uh, we also in- include St. Luke's Episcopal School, which is where my son Logan goes. How you get goes. access to that? Yeah, my, my little five-year-old Logan is in the pre-K class there. And so we've got, you know, pictures of, of them, his classmates working in their garden as well, which they – they also had a butterfly uh, come out of its chrysalis while while they were there in the garden. And so it's all these little lessons about life. You know, I also – I'm glad you did that story, Ms. Laurie, because I've had the idea forever now, I guess for four or five years now, because every time we – like there's a, a – I feel like there's a – any kind of time there's a, a dip in the conversation, she brings up her garden and is talking to me about – how much her kids are eating it up and just love their garden and and why she does it. What did she say? Did she say why she why she has the garden? Well, she has it because at her previous school where she taught, she had one there, and she just sees how much it benefits the kids. Uh, so that's I think that's really what what she likes and seeing their eyes light up whenever they make these discoveries. Now, I do want to point out. That you had the guts and the gall to ask her for her daughter's hand in marriage, but you never had the guts to ask her to do a story about something of which she's passionate, Carl. Uh, I'm record, just calling you out. For the record, I 2020 asked her has father, no chill. I'll I asked repeat. her father for her hand in marriage. Henry Davidson. And uh, <laughs> now, honestly, I, I didn't. I don't know. I don't know why I never did that story, but uh, I, I knew that you would want to do it one day. Yep. Thank you. But what I was you were saving though, it for me. That's what you're saving it for you. There we go. Sacrificial. But what I was going to say is, it's been fascinating because she does not grow up on a farm. Did not grow up on a farm. Mm-hmm. And 
but yet she wants she she understands the garden. She understands where her food comes from and wants her kids to know that. And I was like, thank you. And, you know, <laughs> we need more teachers doing that. And she specifically brought up during the interview, you know, these these children are not growing up in a rural area. They think that their groceries come from Walmart. And so they need to see, even though this is a very small patch of quote unquote country, but they need to see that. Mm-hmm. Any hands-on experience like that is highly oh. educational. Uh, and, and like Lo- I, I talked to Logan's teacher a uh, day before yesterday about the, the garden. And Ms. Jen over there at St. Luke said Logan just absolutely loved it. He loves playing in the dirt. And I'm like, I know that from home because, <laughs> you know, he'll spend hours outside if you let him just digging around or chasing the dog. But, <laughs> you know, that's. That's all part of it, right? You yeah. get you get outside to get the dog to dig everything for you. Exactly. I, I'm right. no teacher either, but I would assume that hands-on experience, that being out with the food in your hands, the garden in your hands, it sticks with you. Well, it also allows you to open the door to trying foods that you might not normally yeah. try. You know, that's Fresh. a big thing. They yeah, because they they grew it. So it was their mm-hmm. project. Exactly. So. Yeah. Uh, Miss Laurie mentioned that uh, you know they made hamburgers before the garden, and the kids were like, "Oh, we don't like lettuce." And then they, after they had the garden and they grew their own lettuce, they all wanted lettuce on their hamburgers, mm-hmm. and they all That's tried right. it that way. Yeah. Uh, Logan came up to me because they they've done uh, this little tasting passport in his class, and so they had different pictures of vegetables and fruits. And if they tried it, they circled it, and if they liked it, there was a stamp next to it. Fortunately, fortunately, everything except for two things had circles around them, and everything that had a circle around it, Logan had a stamp. But he didn't try apples at school, which he's eaten tons of apples <laughs> at home, and tomatoes. So I was like, okay. He wa- he brought it to me. He said, I want to taste each of these so I can get my stamps. Ah, he doesn't like red that's stuff. That's great. Well, and he liked he liked the apples, and he liked the tomatoes. Wow. Well, so. That's amazing. Usually tomatoes are kind of an acquired taste. They're a little sour for most kids. Yeah, that's, that's a little acidic. Yeah, that's yeah, My great. brother still doesn't like tomatoes. I don't understand. I, I love tomatoes, um, but I didn't as a kid. I didn't as a kid. Well, I look forward to that story, Avery, as well as to the grief Carl is going to get from his Don't screw in-laws. it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of growing your things. your producer speaking. I want to give uh, a shout out to uh, uh, our one of our crew members who's not um, here in the studio with us, Jennifer Finley. She's been doing a lot of really good bright spots for the show, and uh, you know even just colorful flower pieces and and these field feasts she's been doing there. They've been really great. This week she's got a piece on uh, spirits in Alexandria. Spirits in Alexandria and Robert like the. Field f- portion is with Robert Duncan. Right. Um, so grows beef. Right. Wife and R, very involved in the Wife and R program. And they actually, I think in the previous week, did a, she did a story with Her flower Rachel. flower farm. Rachel's flower farm, which mm-hmm. is Robert's wife. Right. Um, and they both, like in Rachel's piece and then this week with Field to Feast, they both talked about their involvement in Wife and R and how that's helped them in their, in their, uh, you know, improve their farms. So it's really, a, they've both been really good pieces to really highlight their involvement in the organization, which has been cool. But she talks about Robert, she talks with Robert and how his, his business, in fact, I'm a big fan of the business he's in because 
that's filled my freezer right now. Uh, yeah. Beef from his his farm. But by the way, Brandon and Danielle both talked about their involvement with YFNR and how meaningful it was yeah. that so many of those YFNR members came out after the storms and I remember that you know helped them do everything from clean up to just you know phone calls. Yeah, phone mm-hmm. calls and checking in on them. Yeah. Um, um, but Robert, but Robert, Jennifer. Yeah, yeah. Jennifer is interviewing Robert about his beef uh, operation and how the custom beef is taking more and more of a role uh, forefront in their operation and how during coronavirus um, it's it really taken off just skyrocketed and yeah. he said i can't keep them and that's i can't keep beef in my freezer you know if there's an upside to this whole year it's that i think there's been a much deeper appreciation for farmers and what they do and how they do it and people are connecting with their food in a lot more ways unfortunately some of that was due to fear of shortages but i think uh, in the long run, we've seen a lot more participation in um, custom beef programs mm-hmm. like that, as well as uh, the community market, you know, stuff that they do where you, you order from like what the Luckets do and that sort of thing. And I think it's great. And I, I, you know, not only do the kids at St. Luke's need appreciation for the way things are grown, but all of us do and have to remember that well, as these storms come through, as these pandemic shut down restaurants, as all of this you know, uh, 2020 craziness gets thrown at us. Farmers still have to do what they do. There's a hashtag still farming, and that's um, mm-hmm. uh, they haven't stopped through any of this. They're they're with additional stresses. Even their production, what they do in their day to day work, hasn't changed very much at all. Uh, so uh, we want to give a shout out to them as well as the the frontline workers and for whatever ever, for all that they're doing. Yeah, if you have a job that is not growing your own food then you have to thank a farmer. you got a lot to be thankful for. (laughs) You know, because we would all be just subsistence farmers Mm -hmm. if if it wasn't. If you don't believe that, talk to Scott Wiggers. He'll tell you about it. (laughs) I think there'll be an appreciation not just for farmers more so now, but for full store shelves that we've never had. We've never gone anywhere and saw. I mean, you might see one item that you didn't get to get at the grocery store that day. Mm -hmm. But Are you talking about toilet paper? Yeah, I'm talking about toilet paper. I'm talking about canned um, goods, beef. beef. Yep. I'm, I'm talking kidding. about water bottles. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's talk about poultry. Lysol. Yeah, poultry saw that same scare. Bleach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, you know, one of the things that is is going on, and and that appreciation is how complex agriculture is. Yeah. Like what your dad has to go through. Fuel is a very big part of what. Tell tell me a little bit about that. Tell everybody about that. Well, the. His was a twofold issue when Laura came through. He had one batch of chickens because they're on they're on different um schedules. He's got three houses that are or two houses that are on one unit and four on the other. One batch sold out before the storm came through. The other batch, the plant, everything up there was out of power, and the plant was out of power, so they could not process those birds. So he had to keep those birds for Alive. longer than he. Yeah. He should have he should have sold them out the day that Laura came through. Well, that's a problem because you've got bigger birds. He's got no feed to feed them. The n- none of the plants could run feed out there. It's also August. Did that happen in August or July? August Last August twenty seventh. Yep. August. Extremely hot temperatures. You've got to if you don't have um, electricity, you've got to have a way to cool those birds off. They had no water. Water was cut off because of the storm. Um, so you've got birds that are in there that don't have any air moving. It's 98 degrees outside, and you've got no feed to feed them, no water. 
they can only live so long. So part of helping to remedy that problem was he's got generators that run, but they run on fuel. Well, you couldn't get fuel from any of these stations because they were all out of power. And it, it's an enormous amount of fuel. Like how, how you're, your dad brought 500 in, gallons, 500 gallon tanks is what they were probably. That's what probably yeah. I think Mike brought him a thousand thousand gallon. Your, your dad brought him the first batch. Yeah. Um, Marty brought him. So, I mean, every day he was like, I'll go through that in a day. So it was constantly trying to find. And it wasn't just a story for my dad. It was a story the same for all poultry, poultry growers farmers. that had birds at the time and didn't have power. And mm-hmm. this, that storm went right across all those areas. I mean, it hit everything. Mm-hmm. It started in the West. You have chicken houses in Natchitoches Parish, and it just worked its way from there all the way northeast into to where your dad is in Washington for the points further north like Morehouse and that kind of thing. And chickens just – when they're that big, they put off more heat. Mm-hmm. So and they're closer together. Yes, and they they just they don't have a very high will to live. So if they're if <laughs> there's, you know, a little bit of stress, something else that's has he's currently is a problem. Of course, he's got power back, but all of the damage to the houses where the cool cell pads that help cool the house were ripped off. There was a lot of structural damage to the outside of the houses. Man. They left holes where skunks have been getting in, oh, no. and skunks can kill he had one house that i think uh, one skunk could come in there and kill 100 birds in one night unreal and they just go through and all across the house well he could not keep them out he said he filled it with cement and they were just so that was one other one other thing that as if he had time to deal with more stuff like that yeah so it's just very interesting business well you're talking about my dad and mike alongside marty a lot of different people coming to help your dad get fuel but i remember when that happened <clears throat> we were moving into my house my mom and dad were in baton rouge and i think this is a cool story for farm bureau because my dad was on his way to baton rouge to help us move and your dad and mike were they were all on the phone and communicating and saying oh i need this i need this well mm-hmm. they were all coordinating that well that night friday night uh the friday night that laura made landfall all of these Farm Bureau board members were on the phone trying to figure out. I'm, your dad was saying, I'm not the only one with this issue. Mm-hmm. We got to find something to do. And I think by Saturday or Sunday, well, no, Saturday morning, they, they the were on a conference call, on a conference with call. Co- Commissioner Mike Strain. They established the hotline. Uh, both uh, Louisiana Farm Bureau and the Louisiana Department of Agriculture and Forestry made social media posts within an hour of that hotline being established and sent out press releases as well. And that's some quick so, response. And that's Farm Bureau kind of – I mean that's what that's what Farm Bureau does. When people ask like what's Farm Bureau and that's, that's what Farm Bureau is about. I mean and I thought that was a really cool story that was able to happen really quick. You know, mm-hmm. which it needed quick action, like you said. I mean, fuel mm-hmm. doesn't, look, doesn't go very far. And Jennifer, talking about one of the happy stories, Jennifer did a story on that. So we've, we've been able to cover a lot of that. And I thought that was just a really cool story since we were kind of getting there. I figured we'd give that a shout out because that was that was huge. Yeah. Well, thank you for telling us about your dad's struggles there. I'm, I'm glad to, oh. you know, that's just one producer in one uh, area. In just about as far north as you can go. So yeah. it's... It was a widespread disaster, really one like was. I have not seen in my lifetime here. 
Speaking of which, this uh, podcast has gotten kind of widespread. <laughs> I was about to say. <laughs> we've done a, we've covered a lot here. We and, haven't talked uh, in a while. We haven't talked in a while, so that's, up. that's why. You're going to have the post, uh, It's well, it's not even post-coronavirus. I don't know, post, post-quarantine. Right. Or post-total one, two, lockdown, and three. I guess. <laughs> we may be going back into it. Anyway, uh, Kristen, Avery, Carl, thanks for joining us. And uh, thank all of you for listening. We will try and have another one relatively soon, so keep your ears on. We'll be sooner. I'm not going to interrupt you. It will be sooner than the last gap. Yes. It'll be quicker than the last gap. Correct. (laughs) Correct. Until then, register to vote, wear your mask, and we'll see you next time. Bye. If you can, subscribe to us on your favorite place to get podcasts. Also, leave us a review wherever you're listening, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play, and let us know what you think about the show. Reviews are great, but sharing is how you show that you're caring. So bring (laughs) your mother in, bring your sister in, share this podcast with them, let them know that you enjoy listening to the Twyla After Show. And don't forget this podcast is produced by the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation, the voice of Louisiana agriculture. 